0: It's September 12, 2018, and welcome to another edition of Bite Mars Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum, and of course, uh, first up, uh, we'll be hearing from Karen Hanada. She's the director of the Maui Food Innovation Center. And of course, uh, we'll talk to her about the incubator and the accelerator program. Interesting things going on on Maui. And then we'll hear from Sky kawiloa and he's with uh and he's doing some interesting developments in esports over at uh manoa so first off i want to welcome karen hanada she's uh, of course uh, like i said the director of the maui food innovation center i want to welcome you to bite marks cafe
1: Aloha, Bert. What a pleasure to be here away from the hurricane or the storm. You know, I notice here in Honolulu it's a bit uh, lighter here, so well, you good know, to it, be here.
0: It's still a little wet outside, so I hope people are staying dry, but it's probably not quite as wet as what might be happening on Maui.
1: But, you know, there's some really exciting things happening happening on Maui. You know, it's uh, beyond this hurricane, et cetera, et cetera, we've got the $7 million facility that's in construction right now. Now,
0: okay, so I, when I first heard about this, I thought, wow, this is really a real well-kept secret. But this is something that's been going on for at least a couple of years, right? Oh
1: yeah, we've been uh, blessed with the leadership of uh, Representative Kyle Yamashita and uh, former chancellor, current chancellor, president, vice president for community colleges. And, you know, food is very synergistic with our tourism industry here. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a vision about how to develop food products And, you know, sell them through our economy here. So tell me, how does
0: your Food Innovation Center differ from, let's say, KCC's Culinary Institute?
1: Well, they're very synergistic because Kapilani Community College and the Culinary Institute of Mm -hmm. the Pacific Mm -hmm. is a very uh, traditional curriculum. And it's about training chefs to go beyond managerial and also, you know, dining room type of continental Pacific room cuisine. Whereas our focus is to be complementary to that program, but focus on food product development and also focus on a small entrepreneur. And and so in terms of the
0: uh, the people and companies that have gone through the program, this is what you're Second cohort, or how many cohorts? No, we're have you on hit?
1: cohort number five. Five, see,
0: five. What a well-kept secret. Yeah. So, give me some examples of some of the. Companies that have come out of this.
1: Well, we've got Maui Manjukeys, we've got uh, Waikapu Pickles, we've got Maui Cookie Lady, we've got Donut Dynamite. Uh, you know, just visit our website and you can take a look at you know long list of you know our graduates, etc. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, again, our focus is the entrepreneur mm-hmm. and putting them to through an entrepreneurship business incubation curriculum, and then moving them, scaling them. So. You know, our mission is to take small cottage businesses and help them go up to the next level.
0: How would you consider the, the scaling? When you talk about scaling, what, from what level to what level would be a typical accomplishment?
1: I, I would say coming out from doing it in your, your house, like, you know, baking cookies in your house and making kimchi in your house. And mm-hmm. then, you know, if you've gone on maybe to a small certified kitchen, but then you haven't also thought about business plans and finding microloans, mm-hmm. and looking for venture capitalists. Mm-hmm. So we have a network and a mentoring system that helps people that come through our program, you know, connect up. So we've had some successes, like uh, what was formerly B. Rob Barr, Don Anderson, and she got some investors behind her, and then she's really now expanded to the mainland. Wow. You know, of course, we'd like to keep that business here, though.
0: Right. and, and yeah. <clears throat> The people that have gone through the program are primarily on Maui. Is that correct?
1: That's correct. But we just developed an online, uh, food preser- preserving course mm-hmm. that you know would could open up to the entire state. You know.
0: And so, when you say that you help to
1: accelerate them and get them to the
0: next level, you still want them to kind of stick around Maui, right?
1: We would love them to stick around and expand on Maui, expand across the state, expand regionally, go on, you know, maybe globally, et cetera. And I think that's the kind of energy and vision we need to have in Hawaii.
0: Now, in terms of the program and the incubator accelerator, there are accelerators, and we've had many of them on the show, whether it's Blue Startups or Accelerate UH or Mana Up. What is your relationship to them? Is there a, sort of an intersection, or do you you guys kind of dovetail off of each other?
1: Yeah, we are dovetailing off of each other. For example, Mana Up will take you know companies that are about two uh, uh, annual business value of two hundred thousand dollars or more, and I would say we're mm-hmm. further you know uh, along say below that you know in terms of just you know people operating out of homes or they're renting certified kitchen time. A lot of our people, they have small stores like Manjuki, mm-hmm. Donut Dynamite. She started, I think, out of her home, a certified kitchen. She finally was able to open up a shop on Lower Main Street, so on and so forth. So uh, the <coughs> Mana Up folks, you know, they're already mm-hmm. established. Yeah. And then, you know, Accelerate eight, just more like tech, if you ask me, and food is totally different. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, so, on Maui, uh, you know, a I, 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 small kid time, I remember always going to Maui, and there's always something unique to buy on Maui to bring back to Oahu, like you know the manju, and then you have guri guri, and you have Correct. The mochi. Correct. So Maui has always had this very unique.
1: You mean position. omiyage? Yeah. Right? right. Right. It's a tradition as part of our local culture that you know uh, we we try to be very hospitable and not arrive empty-handed when we're visiting you know someone, mm-hmm. or if we're going to someone's home for dinner or an event, we bring something. So I think that's part of our culture to gifting, mm-hmm, right? And that really ties together with tourism, too. Gifting, you know, uh, Japanese tourists come, you know, other tourists come, and they want to take something back. So to be able to expand that, yeah. And then also, it's synergistic with tourism and the hotel industry, food. Mm -hmm. So we're diversifying food. By the way, we also want to help uh, create, connect to value-added, you know, uh, manufacturing with regard to any diversified agriculture that's going to take off in our islands. You know, with HCNs closing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you know, six hundred seven people either retiring or going on to something else, right? It'd be cool to just kind of flip that, and and with all that land there, whether it's uh, HCNs in or you know, it's ranching, et cetera, it's sunflowers with sunflower oil. So when is your next cohort? When do you have the next cohort come in, in cohort six? Uh, This will be, uh, it is on our website, and I would encourage everyone to go to uh, Mm maui.hawaii.edu forward slash food innovation, one word. Okay, I'll put that up on our show notes. And then...
0: You're going to be at the event this Friday.
1: Yes, I am.
0: Okay, what? The, the Hawaii, the, uh, Hawaii Investment, uh, Ready?
1: Investment Ready event. And yeah. all the
0: accelerators are going to be there, yeah. including the Maui Innovation Innovation Center. Yes, we'll be there. Center. We're gonna be there. We're going
1: to be there. Very
0: good, very good. So thanks, Karen, for joining us.
1: I can't thank you enough. We're really excited. And we'll have
0: you come back, and maybe you can bring some of the cohort you know, maybe somebody represent and hey, bring some food because, you know, we, we, we like to have food.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> we we want to share. want to share the aloha. Thank you.
0: Very good, Karen. Thanks a lot. Of course, uh, we'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Sky Kawiloa and we'll talk about the growing field of esports. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Shamanad University, Inter Island Solar Supply, and Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company.
1: Many years ago when I lived on the mainland I used to listen to NPR. And it was on the first push button, and I don't know that I listened to anything else. And so many years ago, the only way I could listen to the station was be in Honolulu, holding onto the antenna of my car, waving an arm around, because it was very difficult to get in a normal car. That's how I came to love Hawaii Public Radio. My name is Noel Brooks, and I live in Kilauea on Kauai, and I'm proud to be a member of HPR. Welcome back.
0: This is Bite Marks Cafe. And of course, now joining us is Sky Kawaloa. And of course, Sky is a Ph.D. candidate over at the Communications and Information Sciences program over at University of Hawaii. And uh, he has a focus on gaming and society with an emphasis on the intersection between esports, competitive gaming and college life for students. Welcome to the show. Thank Sky. you for
2: having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, Sky. Yeah. You know, I've, I've I've heard about you, and you know, various uh, friends of ours connected us, and you were they were all kind of teasing some very interesting <laughs> things that were happening over at at uh. Now, yeah. what I do want to start off with is that there is a growing interest in mm-hmm. esports, and we've covered a number of different sort of angles uh, from. The, the things that, uh, let's say, League of Legends mm-hmm. or or things like Fortnite. And mm-hmm. and then we also talked briefly about some of the activities that are happening at, at HPU. But before I get into some of the details, I want to hear about what your involvement at UH is with respect to esports.
2: Um, so my involvement, of um, course, number one is that I'm doing my dissertation work on collegiate esports. And um, sp- specifically looking at um, sort of what are the experiences of these college eSports players mm-hmm. and um, what is what does their life look like what are their practices look like how are they balancing school and work and homework and play and all these sort of issues and so there's that and then number two um, during the summer actually we can sort of like take a back uh, take a uh, a step back about a year ago I had been planning um, with a student of mine um, to actually bring a proposal to administration to think about having a collegiate esports team. Mm -hmm. And so that was like around 2017, the beginning of 2017. Then over the summer, I was contacted by um, Twitch and uh, specifically a Twitch student. And um, this person contacted me and said, well, I just ran into a person from UH at the Las Vegas esports arena. They have a huge esports arena in Las Vegas now. Mm-hmm. And he said that this particular person was very much interested in bringing esports to UH and um, we need to talk. Um, little did I know that uh, President Lassner, uh Chris Lee, David Atlin have already started the conversation. Um, we're already interested in the, in the, the space. And we're really thinking about it um, very carefully and methodically. And they brought me in uh, into the group. And ever since, we've been discussing various options um, and ways forward to talk about how we can start something gaming, esports-related at UH.
0: Now, this is very interesting because yeah. you know what you have just said has a number of different possibilities and paths that it could take. Yeah. When you talk about esports and and its intersection with with student life, obviously, the first place you might start to investigate is, you know, the the amount of time uh, students might play on on esports to get to the the level of of expertise that they are, uh, means that there's a lot of dedication to being on the computer right. on, in the game, right. basically building the muscle memory of how to play the game, but then there are some. Side effects to that, yes. and 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 some of the um, reports, you know, whether it's from Korea or you know where there's a lot of activity in this area, where there's sort of this addiction mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. might occur. So, is part of your research looking at how does the maybe the 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 unintended consequences or the side effects of that level of dedication to you know this particular form of gaming?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. So when I go into this the Collegiate esports arenas, when I enter the universities, um, I'm definitely opening up uh, or at least stepping into a space where I'm trying to have an open mind mm-hmm. and just looking at what's happening. And the first thing that I do notice is that, number one, these kids identify strongly with their identity as gamers. So there's, there's this whole thing about collegiate esports where we want to talk about the gamers as athletes. And the, the word athlete is, is kind of like used often to kind of, I think, in many ways, it's to justify the investments in the space. And it's a way to talk about college esports as if we were talking about sports, which mm-hmm. is perfect, perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, one thing that is apparent when, when I do talk with some of the students is that um, maybe the term athlete is not completely uh, accurate, mm. that they are foremost um, gamers and that's what they really identify as. And so, that is something that I, I, I have kind of sort of noticed, but then when I do kind of push and observe and kind of prod, um, like I said before, they definitely are. there are definitely a lot of benefits to at least acknowledging and starting to validate this group of students on campuses. They have tr- traditionally never been acknowledged as if you were to acknowledge Someone on the soccer team, someone on the baseball team, someone on the football team. Traditional sports has always kind of taken that, that space. Um, once you do that, though, and when I'm looking at these college esports players, yeah, there's there are issues as well. There are issues. Number one is the idea is that they have to balance their life as extremely competitive players as well as students. And so um, my research right now is looking at um, University of California, Irvine I look at their their Overwatch team and their League of Legends team. And I've um, done uh, my first kind of phase of data collection over the summer. I'm going to be going back there in October to do my second phase of data collection. Mm -hmm. Um, And yes, these students are grappling with issues of number one, depending on what they see, like what what do they see themselves in the future? Like how do they see themselves? Do they see themselves as professionals? Because certainly some players are using the collegiate eSports experience and basically the, the the team experience as a stepping stone to the professional side. Or are the students uh, or, you know, are some of the students looking at this as just an experience that they're having in college and that it will not have anything to do with them after? Mm-hmm. So depending on some of those kind of questions, it will you will see – how far are these uh, these gamers willing to kind of jeopardize, in some ways, their grades? So it's not un- it's not uncommon for some students to skip mm-hmm. a couple mm-hmm. of homework assignments, not study for a midterm. If there's a world championship coming up, um, that's again not uncommon.
0: Are you thinking, you know, and in terms of some of the other uh, folks that you mentioned, whether it's Lasner or Chris Lee? Mm-hmm. Are you thinking that the university should get involved with this to help perhaps steer it in a direction that's positive and, and, and productive and and there's always the 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 gamer culture right and yep. and, and in the past uh, the gamer culture has been very sort of male dominated yeah and there's always been sort of this um, almost h- hostile environment for for women yeah so is that something also that You want to help, you know, sort of nip at the bud before it gets really out of hand? Oh, yes,
2: definitely. I think that is absolutely necessary. My time spent at UCI, um, like I said before, it's an amazing program. They're doing amazing things. But like any other sort of competitive environment, um, there are structural inequalities to it. And um, one of those inequalities is that females are not taking part in it. Females are not part of the scene, at least in the competitive side of it. Um, And that's been a big sort of like problem with the gaming community overall. It's not just unique to collegiate esports, but in general, the gaming community has had that problem. So part of my role, at least that something that I would like to um, sort of guide the, the committee is to think about these issues before they get out of hand. Um, or to think about these issues before they spring up and they're sort of brushed aside. Mm-hmm. Um, because actually, the, these collegiate gamers need mentors. Um, they really need people to guide them. They are, they are kids. For, first and foremost, they are kids, often kids who don't know how to cook a meal by mm-hmm. themselves, mm-hmm. pay their bills. They're so heavily immersed and embedded in the competitive scene that it's literally similar to just like guiding somebody for the first time through um, um, living outside of their house. Uh, So they do need mentors. They do do need adults in the space. And that's kind of the role I I hope that uh, um, we can find for for these kids.
0: You know, Sky, you you did mention also the the desire to perhaps uh, create a collegiate team. Mm -hmm. And I, I do want to get into a little bit more detail on how you would sort of um, evolve from you know the, the course that you're teaching as well as nurturing this community to actually developing a, a, a team that could get together and actually compete. I want to hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short break to continue our conversation with Sky Kaweloa, And of course, we're, you're listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting, Sacred Hearts Academy, and Urgent Care Hawaii. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum, and if you're just joining us, we're talking to Sky Kaweloa, and we're talking about the intersection of esports, academia, and college life and right before the break, we were sort of talking about the, um, you know, campus life and and helping to maybe sort of mentor shape the direction of some of the community of e gamers uh, uh, on campus. And with that, which is I think a very positive thing, how do you see Sky developing a potential team of players? Um, I think that's again one of these things that
2: lends a tremendous amount of, of, of recognition and acknowledgement of the community of gamers that are on campus. Mm-hmm. Um, if we do have a team, it would be a great step forward. Um, I would love to see a team that represents um, both the, the traditional games that we see now that are very popular, League of Legends. Um, even a Dota 2, t- Dota 2 team, which you know, Dota that, that tends to have a, a, a steeper learning curve, but still it's a great community. Um, a team that's related to Overwatch as well would be wonderful. Um, and I would love to see, however, uh, a competitive scene, uh, a team would be great for games that are not traditionally sort of looked upon as mainstream esports. And this kind of comes through to other types of games within the fighting game community. Um, I come from a very (laughs) long and passionate um, amateur career in Street Fighter as a kid Mm -hmm. in San Diego. I grew up playing Street Fighter, Um, uh, semi-well-known in my community in San Diego. And so I do have a special place in my heart for the the fighting game community. Uh, on campus at UH, we have an a, a passionate, uh, an amazing um, community of Smash and Melee players. Um, that's led by a PhD student um, um, in, on campus. Uh, his name is Thomas uh, Godek, uh, Probably Godek, Sorry for mm-hmm. mispronouncing his name. But I'd love to see a team not only again that addresses the mainstream sort of popularity of of, of team-based esports which is really what a lot of educators, administrators, um, and um, academics are looking at right now because it affords a lot of the benefits that we see with team-based activities. Again, team communication, collaboration, strategy uh, making, it's one of these things that we see value in that. But at the same time, we do get kind of lost in that, that focus because Smash Brothers, Melee. These actually these games are actually hugely popular on college campuses, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I would feel it'd be re- really remiss of us if we ignored this community as we move forward.
0: Now, <clears throat> let's say you got a team together. At least you're now kind of nurturing this community. Do you see infrastructure in terms of a an arena, perhaps, mm-hmm. popping up on campus? I would. I would
2: highly recommend that there be arena on campus. Uh-huh. I would absolutely recommend it because I mean you can't you know you can't go forward with only HPU having an arena. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, definitely. We know we can we can talk about that because I think um, it has been uh, told to me that uh, from fellow collegiate uh, gamers and um, a, a director as well that they think HPU has one of the best collegiate arenas right now in the United States. Now, what
0: what makes HPU's arena the best? Um, Number one,
2: I think the actual design of the arena Mm -hmm. is well thought out. Um, It doesn't look like a typical sort of smoky, grungy, um, PC cafe type of thing. Uh It looks, it's very much welcoming, um, and it taps into a a space that I think is quite important. It has a community section. Mm -hmm. It's not specifically for PC competitive gamers. And so that's one thing that when you build an arena, You want to really be make sure, but you want to make sure that when you walk into the space, it's a space where you can see yourself playing both competitively or casually, Mm -hmm. and also it's a space where you can just literally just hang out, Mm -hmm. and that is something that makes this, I think, HP's arena exceptionally well thought out, because if it is, if it's just a room with twenty high-end PC cafes all decked out in the latest iBuyPower gaming rigs with all the latest, like you know. Corsair-type like gaming chairs, that is appealing to a certain demographic, but that is also unappealing or a little bit off-putting. Could to be uh, intimidating
0: to some of the people that yeah. want to just casually yes, you know, be exactly. in Yes, yeah. exactly.
2: And I think any eSports program or any eSports arena, you want to make sure that you're really appealing to as wide of an audience, as wide of an audience of students in your campus as possible because we already know what the competitive demographic likes. But the whole gist of competitive gaming, esports, um, is to really tap into a range of players, both new, casual, even people who don't even play the game, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who just love to s- watch esports right. and spectate right. esports. Right. Which again, HPU has that. Right. Um, or people who love to just hang out with gamers, or like to listen to shoutcasters, or look, or who enjoy the shoutcasting experience. That entire arena should be should have that community experience, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, I really hope that we can find that kind of space at UH because that's important.
0: Now, in terms mm-hmm. of the uh, let's say competitive edge or advantage that Hawaii might have in this uh, esports environment, that's kind of global. You have you have said earlier that there's a lot of talent that's mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. From a from a uh, infrastructure standpoint, from a connectivity standpoint, does Hawaii, you know, being that it's in the middle of the Pacific, have a inherent disadvantage in in perhaps participating in esports competitions?
2: Yes. Yeah, so definitely yes. Um, we are situated uh, in the middle of the Pacific. Um, by sheer physics, we are going to have latency issues. Um, Riot Games moved their server, their League of Legends server, from Portland. Uh, in 2015 to Chicago. Um, I was able to go to RMU, Robert Morris University, when they made that move. Um, When I did my my first research paper, I looked at these players and I visited their campus and I could just see and, and, and kind of just hear the giddiness of how smooth their experience was. So that move represented a big hit to Hawaii gamers. So before the move, the server moved from Portland to Chicago, you had gamers in Hawaii you know, hitting roughly 80 milliseconds of ping, give or take 10, 20 milliseconds. That is not ideal. Um, it's slightly tolerable, um, and you can play with that. However, once the, sh- the server moved from um, Portland to Chicago, that bumped up ping from 150 180 or up to 200 milliseconds per, uh, uh, of play of latency. Right. That is not um, you can't be competitive.
0: Well, so is there is that going to be uh, a showstopper for Hawaii to kind of grow this 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 uh, sector and community? I mean, I I hope there's an answer that that is more positive, (laughs) right? No,
2: I think think that there are a number of avenues or a number of ways in which we can promote the competitive esports scene in Hawaii um, with the current um, limitations. Um, And those things, in my opinion, are fostering the high school esports scene, fostering the community college esports scene, um, and getting other universities, I mean, hopefully, you know, Nobody's talked about this, but BUIU has a competitive scene. Uh, Chaminade has a competitive scene. Mm -hmm. Um, We need to be, we need to all get together because we can do a wonderful, um, uh, uh, we can have something here on the island that represents something unique and different. Um, And that is something that I would love to see. But yes, we have a competitive disadvantage once we talk about play between Hawaii and the mainland. Mm -hmm. And that itself will be something that again riot has tried to address it by saying let's look at how we can prioritize league of legend data and do something that will help it yeah Yeah. so
0: we'll let's keep this conversation going because maybe there's a way that you know so technology wise we can help lower the latency yes right now it is uh it is kind of an obstacle but Sky, I mean, where can people find out more about esports on, on UH? Um, I would love for people to come and actually join um, a Facebook group that I
2: have. If you look on Facebook for uh, College Esports Research or the University of Hawaii Esports, uh, you can find me there.
0: Good. Yeah. I'll put it up on our show notes. Sky Kaweloa, he's a Ph.D. candidate over at UH Manoa with a focus on esports. I want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you. And of course, uh, thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we'll kick off Cybersecurity Month. If you miss any part of this, edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on BiteMarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. You can also find us on Twitter, I'm at BiteMarks. And of course, stay out of the rain, stay dry, and you stay awesome. We will see you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.